Almost. Okay, fantastic. Cool. So this Christmas series that we're doing right now, we're going through the carol, that song we sung at the end of worship, O Holy Night. And Lainey did a fantastic job of introducing this carol last week Sunday. So if you missed last week Sunday's message, go and listen. The carol was written 180 years ago. It was commissioned by the Roman Catholic Church. And when it was written in Latin, they didn't like it at all. In fact, they shelved it. They kind of, this is not good enough. But an American guy translated it some years later. It's become so popular. So we're going to be taking a look today at the first verse of this very stirring song, seeing what scriptures it's referring to and allowing God to speak to us today from the carol and from the scriptures. So you can put up the words of that first verse. And uh, for health and safety reasons, I'm not going to sing. <laughs> for your health and safety. <laughs> but I'm going to read out the first verse. O holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope. And the weary soul rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. There's a deliberate contrast in this first verse between the bright stars and darkness. The darkness that the world is living in. Sin, error, brokenness, weariness, etc. And at the end, we see that night is coming to an end. There's a new dawn. There's a, a sunrise. Jesus is being born. He's the light. That's coming into the world. There's a deliberate contrast between light and darkness. And the scripture that most likely refers to is Isaiah chapter 9. So let's read from Isaiah 9 and verse 2. Isaiah is prophesying about the arrival of the Messiah. This is probably 700 years before Jesus was born. And this is what he says. He says, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you've shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government, God's government, will be on his shoulders. And he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. How's that? Every earthly government and its reign and influence is going to end. But of God's government, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So before Jesus came, there was no Christmas. There was no Christmas carols. There was no celebrations. And that very first Christmas... With Jesus, Mary, Joseph, the shepherds, the angels that had appeared beforehand, that was the first time God had done anything with his people in 400 years. 
The commentators talk about the silent years, 400 years before from the last prophet who died until Jesus was born. God never spoke. There was no prophet. There was no inspired revelation, current, no new books. Ten, I don't know, eight, ten generations. My great, 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 great grandfather, when he was alive, there was a prophet. But for 400 years, God was silent. All they had were their religious leaders who were increasingly religious and who increasingly were proud and arrogant and put heavier and heavier burdens on the people. And then all of a sudden, amongst this darkness, 400 years, a new morning dawns. And so we see firstly, my first point this morning, is that we see the desperate state of people who are living in darkness. Uh, the, the carol says they were pining, that means languishing or brokenhearted or longing for something. What were they longing for? Well, they were longing for the wrong things. It says in sin and error, they were pining. They were longing for not the things of God, other things. They were weary. In other words, their soul was tired. Solomon, who wrote the book of Ecclesiastes at the end of his life, this wise man, he was the king after David. You go and read through the book of Ecclesiastes. It's quite a depressing book. Don't ever read it if you're having a bad day. It'll just like make your mood go even lower. But he talks about through most of the book how everything is meaningless. Life and all the things you can try, it's just it's a waste of time. He uses the phrase we, like you're chasing after the wind because you can't catch the wind. Life is, life is meaningless until you get to the last chapter and his conclusion. He says, well, life is meaningless unless you have God. You can do everything you want. You can try all you like, but if you don't have God, like you're trying to chase the wind. Life has no meaning. It doesn't fulfill you. It leaves you empty. It leaves you weary and tired, the state of these people who are living in darkness. They had a burden. Isaiah speaks of the rod of the oppressor. Possibly that's literal, referring to the Romans who were ruling over Israel at that time. But they're in darkness. They were stumbling. It was a dreary place. It says they were in sin. Even though God's kindness had given them the temple and the sacrificial system, they could sacrifice an animal when they sinned. Even that didn't actually, we know, fully cleanse them of their sin. That sacrificial system was a, a temporary measure and meant to show us how bad sin is, right? That so even the blood of animals couldn't actually cleanse us fully. And we know now, looking back, that that sacrificial system was pointing one day to Jesus, who would be the Lamb of God who would be slain. So they're living in sin. How can you say that, Glendon? You know that many people in the world, many, many, many people think that humans, people, society, mankind is essentially good. You know that? Maybe you think that. Man is, most people are that good. Like, you know, we do one or two bad things every now and then. Sure, we're not perfect. But actually, deep down, all people are, they're good. They want good things. There's one or two really bad apples. You know, we could name a few dictators at the moment and previously, the really bad apples. But, you know, most people are good. I'm good. I'm not a bad person. 
I'm not as good as maybe Mother Teresa or, or Greta Thunberg trying to save the environment and the planet, but, but I'm essentially good. And that sounds nice, doesn't it? Makes us feel good about ourselves. I'm not too bad, not perfect, you know. But actually, it's as comforting as that is, it's simply not true. You know, early on in, in, in human history, before we people invented things like war and atomic bombs and torture and all of that stuff, early on in the story of mankind, Genesis chapter 5, right near the beginning, you know what God says about humans? Well, let's read it, Genesis chapter 5. Genesis chapter 6, sorry, from verse 5. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. Like there's no room for being good deep down inside. The Lord regretted that he'd made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. And so friends, we have to realize that apart from God, we are born into oppression, born under a burden, born into darkness, we're born sinful. No matter how cute your little baby is, little Gabby over there, no matter how cute, when you've had a child for more than a year, you know they're essentially sinful. <laughs> Why? Because it's all about me. And it's obviously a survival mechanism, I get that. But, but as kids grow up, you, you don't teach them to lie. They know, they learn, they, they learn how to lie without you teaching them. Anyway, let's not go into parenting now. But when we're born, we're born under the rulership of the devil. We're born into darkness. And apart from God rescuing us and reforming us, we are sinful, greedy, selfish, depraved people. We need God to redeem us, to save us out of the kingdom of darkness and put us into his kingdom of light. Apart from God, we're in sin. And that's the state of every person who doesn't have Christ, a desperate state. The second thing that we see from the scripture is that Christ came to bring us light. Christ came to bring us light. There's a metaphor, a word picture of light and darkness. Darkness represents being lost. If you're walking around a dark room, you're going to kick your leg. You're going to bump your shin on something. You're going to stumble. You're going to fall over. You can't see what you're doing. It's also a metaphor for being blind spiritually. You can't see spiritual truth, not knowing which way to go. But light, light is a picture of learning. When you've learned something new, you are enlightened. You know that phrase. You've learned something new. Light is a picture of um, being uh, uncovering or revealing or making known. Light allows us to see clearly, to give us clarity and vision represents the truth. Light is a, a metaphor for the truth. And so Isaiah says that people living in darkness have seen a great light. In other words, Jesus was that light, and God's truth was being made known, was being revealed through Jesus, through his teachings, through his miracles, through his personhood. The truth about God, this light was coming into the world. Suddenly, we can learn about God more fully because the true light has come. A morning was dawning where God was making known, broadcasting, if you like, His light, His truth, firstly to a tiny nation in the Middle East called Israel, but ultimately to all the earth, 
That's God's plan that His truth, His light goes out to the ends of the earth. And God's still doing this today. There are many, many people living in spiritual darkness. They might think they're a good person. They might think and follow spiritual sounding things. Some years ago, there's something called The Secret. It was a spiritual, non-Christian thing. Maybe it's Shembe, maybe it's New Age, maybe it's Zionist, maybe it's ancestral worship. These spiritual sounding things, but if Christ is not there, they're still living in darkness. They might sound spiritual, you might think that you're good, but unless you've got Jesus' light, you're actually living in darkness. You're deceived. I love this quote from C.S. Lewis. He says, I believe in Christianity as I believe in the sun, not because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. So he says, I, I believe in the sun, not because I can look at the sun. Oh, look, there's the sun. I believe in the sun, not because I see it, but because it shines light on everything else. Because of the sun, I can see where my house is. I can see where the driveway is. I can see not to walk into a tree. Because of the sun, I can see the world around me. And I can live in it properly, not stumbling around in darkness. And he says, I believe in Christianity in the same way. Not because, wow, there's Jesus and he died for me. That's awesome. We know the facts. But I believe in Christianity because, because of what Christ has done, I can now see everything else. Jesus' light interprets the world around us. His truth comes into the world and suddenly we see the world for what it really is. And when Christ shines his light into my life, I'm born again. I'm saved. I'm a new creation. And all of a sudden, I see differently. I see myself differently. I see the world around me differently. Because I've got his light, I'm not stumbling around in darkness. And suddenly when that happens, I see that I'm worshiping all kinds of idols, Myself, pleasure, my career, money, sex, my self-image. Suddenly I see those things I never saw before. Suddenly I discover that I'm being held captive to all kinds of fears and insecurities I didn't know were there because Christ has shone his light. All of a sudden I, I realize I'm trying to earn my self-worth. I'm trying to prove myself by doing stuff. All the time craving affirmation and acceptance. Didn't know that was happening until Christ shone his light. Suddenly I find that other world views that I thought were so appealing and so noble in the light of Christ's truth suddenly just don't add up anymore. I see the facade and how earthly pursuits, like Solomon said, Leave me hollow, empty, unfulfilled, unsatisfied without God. I suddenly see the, the web of deceit and lies that the devil's been spinning, ensnaring me and others around me. Suddenly we see it for the first time when Christ shines his light. He interprets the world around us. We see things differently. And God still wants to bring his light today. I think most of us here... We've had Christ's light. We're born again. We've put our faith in him. 
But there might be one or two where you've never put your faith in Jesus. You can do that today. And even if for the most of us here, we are Christian, we have faith, a living faith in Jesus, there's still probably some areas in our life that are living in darkness. Maybe there's some sinful habit that you're battling to break. Maybe there's some fear that's kept you bound and shackled, that's paralyzed you. It could even be the way that you see yourself. You think of yourself as worthless, as no good, always making mistakes, never good enough for others, ugly, whatever it might be. Maybe your self-image is in darkness today. And the way that we bring those to Jesus as we take that thing we present it to and say, God, shine your light. Shine your truth, shine your word into that thing because I am thinking about that thing wrongly. And we need his truth, his word to shine into our lives and expose the lies of the devil. Expose the bad patterns of thinking that we've had. And then to set us free by his spirit. So we bring them to him, and we allow him, we open our hearts, like the scripture Sonia read, lift up your heads, the king of glory wants to come in and set us free. God came to set us free from the trap of sin. You don't have to be a victim to your sin, friends. God can set you free. He can shine his light. You don't have to be a victim to addiction or the lies that you or someone else, the devil, have spoken over you. God can set us free. He wants to bring his light. And then lastly, God wants to shine his light through us. I sometimes think, often I think, that God's plan is nuts. Absolutely bonkers. Think about this, right? Logically for a moment. Jesus brought the most heavenly, amazing teachings. Go and read the words of, teach, of Jesus. You won't find any more profound, deep, truthful, life-changing words in any man or woman that lived before or after. His teachings are unique. You, you, his heavenly wisdom is unparalleled. Jesus did many incredible miracles, right? He confronted, he refuted, he rebuked the religious leaders. He set them straight, and at the heart of Jesus' popularity, the heart of his following where there's miracles and people are talking about him, there's a big movement gathering, thousands of people, big crowds he's preaching to, at the heart of his popularity and success, you know what he does? He says to his 12 disciples, come around, guys, all 12 of you, two, three, four, five, six, 11, 12, come on, man, stop eating, you've had enough seconds that... Gather around, guys. I've got an exciting announcement. Some big news for this team of 12. I'm going back to heaven. Can you imagine what they thought? You know, Simon Peter, he's the guy who always like, put his foot in it, right? I wonder what he thought. Someone slapped Jesus. He's not thinking this morning. He's not. No, we need Jesus to preach and do miracles. I'm not taking on the Pharisees. Jesus, you do a much better job at that than me. But Jesus says, no, 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 this is exciting. This is good news. I'm going back to heaven, and it's better for you that I go. Their jaws must have dropped. If we were there, the same thing would have happened, yeah? Who wants Jesus to go? Look what he's doing. <laughs> he says, no, unless I go, 
I can't give you the Holy Spirit. Jesus can do, I think we'll all agree, Jesus can do a much better job at preaching than any human. He can do a much better job at performing miracles and seeing people saved and delivered and restored and made whole. God doesn't need us to fulfill His plan. Do you know that? He doesn't need us. No, not at all. And here's the crazy part. Because I think that most of the time we, we mess up more than we get it right. The crazy part is that God wants to use you and I to see His kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven in the lives of other people. And I don't know why he made such a crazy plan. Because I'm human and I know how imperfect I am. Why didn't Jesus just stay? That would have been so much easier. <laughs> but he says, no, no, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. I know you can't do it by yourself. God himself is going to live inside you. The Holy Spirit, the infinite, all-powerful God will take up residence in your hearts. The Holy Spirit is with us. He empowers us. He enables us to fulfill His plans. And not only that, that He helps us, but He's working in the hearts of other people. He's softening your unsaved neighbor's heart, your difficult colleague at work. He's already working in their hearts. You might not see it, but God is at work. So He gives us His incredible power. He's at work in other people, and He says, co-labor with me on this great co-mission, this together mission. We're not robots. We're not puppets just doing whatever God says. No, we work together with Him, but we have the Holy Spirit. And God is at work all around us already in people that we know. And He says, go, church, go and make disciples of all nations. Surely I'm with you to the end of the age. God wants to shine his light through us. And using the same metaphor as light, of light, Jesus says to disciples in Matthew chapter 5 from verse 14, he says to them, he says, you, all of you, are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. Well, my kids do that. They take a torch, put a blanket over it so only they can see. But that's, you know, kids. But most people don't light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. It gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. So friends, this Christmas, I'd like us, in fact, all year round, we should do this little exercise. Think, remember, reflect on what your life once used to be when you used to live in darkness and oppression and sin and error, having the wrong longings, having the rod of the oppressor and all kinds of burdens and the weariness and the futility of your life before Christ came into your life. Think about that desperate place you were in. And then think about how Christ, the morning star, rose in your heart one day. You might remember that day, perhaps you don't remember when it happened, but there was a point when Christ shone his light into your heart, and suddenly you could see, think about all the things he's done for you, not least of which is saving you and changing you, and then think about the immense privilege 
of being able to share that light with other people who are in darkness. Can you imagine someone, maybe it's happened in the history of the world where they were born in a cave and they grew up in darkness and never went outside. Imagine the first time they saw light. Maybe it was a candle, I don't know. Can you imagine the wonder? Wow, I can see. Imagine the excitement of someone who's been living in spiritual darkness suddenly when your light and my light shines into their darkness. Imagine the the wonder, the thrill, the hope that they can learn truth, spiritual truth about God, about themselves, about eternity. Yes. Amen. Exciting. You hear that tone. But honestly, friends, we sometimes cover our light, don't we? We're too scared. What will they think if I if they know I'm a Christian? What will they think? Will they judge me? Will they stop being my friends? But but think of it the other way around. They're in darkness. They don't even know they're in darkness. The devil has blinded the minds of unbelievers, the Bible says. They don't know. And we are the ones who carry his light. Imagine being able to bring eternal truth to people living in darkness. What a privilege, friends, you and I have. For this Christmas, let's consider that and how we may shine our light in all kinds of ways to other people. Maybe you want to invite friends to carols. They might not hear the gospel. They might not hear a sermon, but they're going to be hearing truth as we sing. God can work and plant seeds in any number of ways, amen? And let's shine our light so that people may be drawn to Christ, the true light, amen? Amen. I want to pray for us as we're ending this morning. If you wouldn't mind just bowing your heads, closing your eyes. Father, we love these simple pictures that you use to show us What we were before Christ came, darkness, lost, blind, helpless, life being meaningless. And then when Christ comes, there's, it's like the night has ended and and the day has broken and God has come into our lives. Thank you, Lord, that that moment has happened for many of us here today. And I want to pray, Lord, for anyone this morning Maybe they've realized today for the first time they're living still in darkness. They might think they're a good person. They might have spiritual thoughts and ideas and opinions, but they've never crossed that line of faith and accepted the light of Jesus into their dark world. And friends, if there's anyone like that this morning, if you are like that, then all you have to do is pray a simple prayer and say, Jesus, I receive your light I realize I've been living in darkness. Come and shine your truth and your light into me. Come and make me a new creature. I give over my life to you. Save me and rescue me, Jesus. You can just say a simple prayer like that, combining your faith and putting it in what Jesus has done on the cross. And if you're doing that this morning, I'd love to chat to you afterwards. Father, for everyone else, including me, where we have dark areas still in our lives. Father, we want to come to you this morning and present them and say, Jesus, please, please, please shine your light 
We don't want parts of our life to be in darkness, futile, meaningless, a chasing after the wind. But Lord, we want to bring them to you and open our hands and our hearts. That Jesus, would you bring the truth of your word about who we are. Help us to stop believing lies about ourselves. Help us stop believing the life that we, we're going to continue to sin forever, that we're in this bondage until we die. Lord, you can set us free. And I pray, Holy Spirit, come and make that truth real and touch us and transform us and break the yoke, break the rod of the oppressor that is prophesied by Isaiah. We want to speak wholeness and freedom into every person in this church, Lord. Liberty for the captives, light to those living in darkness. God, we don't want to be a church that's shackled in any area, but living free, whole, restored, redeemed. That's your plan, Lord, to bring abundant life, life to the full. And I pray, do that in our hearts, Lord God. Break the lies. Thank you for your blood that cleanses us. Help us to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, how we think about stuff. And help us, Lord God, to shine the light that you've put in us to all of those around us in all different ways. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us this morning. Trust you have a good day.